at some point, your life will come to an end and you're going to be faced with the question of, legit, did I live this thing? And if you didn't live it, man, it's going to be a tough existence. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. You're going to love today's interview because I'm sitting down with Anthony Trucks, the former NFL player turned transformational identity shift coach. Now, if you don't know what an identity shift coach is, number one, it's freaking awesome. Number two, you aren't going to believe how your ingrained identity has an effect, not just how you show up in life, but how you do business, whether you are successful or not. So you are absolutely going to have a breakthrough and grow during this episode. We're going to talk about how he came back from a true rock bottom. And I mean, a real rock bottom. I think it'll blow your mind. We're going to talk about how to identify your business identity and then how to leverage it for better success. I think it's going to be easier than you think. So that'll be exciting for you. And we have a great conversation, one of the best ones yet about current affairs and racial tension in the business world and what each of us can do to help each other succeed and why we all have a shared vested interest in it. Now, I met Anthony through a group of mutual friends because I run in a like-minded circle of high performers just like he does and just like many of you do as well. And if you want to run in our circle of high performers, listen, you can. We've got an entry-level mastermind for people making less than $500,000 a year. And you can go check that out at fastfoundations.com. Again, that's fastfoundations with an S at the end.com. And if you're making over $500,000 a year, then you can plug into our elite group. Go check that out and fill out the application at fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind. Either one of these, I will tell you this. We assemble groups that has all of the individuals that are running at the pace that you want to run at, that think the way you think, that dream the way you dream. As a matter of fact, if you've ever said, God, where are the other people like me? Or I feel weird for dreaming out loud, or I'm holding back, or where's people who think the way I do? They're in these groups. I promise you. That's why we assemble them. And listen, the list of breakthroughs, you'll see them on the sites. They're a mile long. So go check them out. If you make less than 500 grand a year and you want to get personal coaching and join this group of awesome entrepreneurs, go to fastfoundations.com. And if you are towards the seven figure mark and above, then I want you to go to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind. Whichever one is the right fit for you, I promise you, it is literally the right fit for you. It's what you're looking for to finish this year strong. All right, well, get ready because Anthony and I have an epic conversation that is not only going to improve the way you show up in your business, it's going to improve the way you show up in your life. And best of all, it's going to bring you to that absolute next level by shifting your identity. Here we go. Anthony Trucks, welcome to the show, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on here. So we're going to get into all sorts of really good deep topics, but I always start my show with a little bit of rapid fire. It's a fun way for people to get to know you in a hurry, find out what you're all about. And if anything good comes up, I promise we'll circle back around and do a deep dive. You in? I'm with it, bro. All right. Uh, Start real easy. Where'd you grow up? Grew up in a town called Antioch, California. Is that Southern or Northern? 
It's Northern California, right out. It's like outside of San Francisco. It's like an East Bay Area teen, town. You know, it's interesting. The only claim to fame I can give us is you ever heard of J.C. Dugard, the woman who was kidnapped, like hidden under somebody's backyard for 18 yes. years? Yes. That was Antioch. Go oh, Antioch. My God. And where are you living now? <laughs> where are you living now? Uh, I live in a town called Walnut Creek, a little more inland from there, uh, about 20 minutes outside the San Francisco area. Okay. All right. What's one of your favorite quotes? Uh, my, my favorite quote's my quote, and is, there are two types of people in this world, those that work and those that watch them at work. I don't mind the audience. Oh, man, I love that. What's one of your superpowers? Yeah. Connection, man. I connect creepy well with almost all humans I meet, and I don't know how it works, how it's happened. My wife, we call it charisma, we'll call it, but man, I, I have no problem talking to anybody about anything. That's a really good one to have. That'll get you far. A couple more here. What's one thing you're challenged by right now? Uh, I am challenged by, um, it's interesting. Here's what I'll tell as a challenge. I have this, this conversation with my wife about me and my son. My, my youngest son is a tornado. And the only thing we have a challenge on that we even find ourselves ever arguing about is like how to parent this guy. That's it. It's only a challenge. Like we're, I mean, we have other things. We're human beings. We argue, we, you know, dumb stuff like, why didn't you do that? I don't know. I told you to. My bad, you know. But with him, it's like he is like, how do we get this kid to stop like yelling all day, every day? It's just nuts. But yeah, that's the only challenge we have. My wife and I are going to enter into that uh, phase of our life, you know, here in the next year or two for sure. So I'm I'm sure I'm set up for all sorts of stuff like that. A couple more. um, What's something generous you've done recently? Uh, I do a lot of generous things, man. Hey, you know, so, so there's a lot of things I do in the background that I don't tell anybody I do. Uh, I, I grew up in foster care, so a lot of things I do for like at-risk youth. Uh, yesterday, I filmed a lot of videos for different organizations for foster kids and sent them all off. One was actually last night, like 9.30, I filmed a 15-minute video that was kind of going over like a Bible scripture that's one of my favorites for a group called Hope and Home out in Colorado Springs that I go to every year. And, uh, and they're going to play this tonight, actually, for the, uh, for the groups. That was one of the generous things to be able to pull my time aside because I don't have a lot. We were just talking about it before we got on. Yeah. I don't have a lot of extra time, man. So yeah. for me, giving up my time is a value to people. Dude, I, we're literally just talking about that. Last but not least, what are you grateful for today? Uh, I am grateful for, for life, man. You know, people do that. They do it broad stroke, overarching. But dude, if we, once we get into my life, you're going to understand why I'm very grateful for it. People always ask, like, how did you go through crazy? And, and you're still so happy. I'm like, man, because I had went through crazy. So yeah. I'm, I'm grateful that I am in my home and my blood children are in my home with me. And then I get to come and talk to cool people. And this is what I get to call work. Man, you and me both. All right. So let's actually, let's go there a minute. You know, the reason why you're so grateful today, because I want to start by taking you back to your mid-20s when yeah. a shoulder injury kind of crushed your NFL dreams. And in yeah. something like a 60-day period, you went from having it all in the NFL to being mm-hmm. a personal trainer at a local gym trying to support your family, wife, kids, the whole thing. Yeah. And I read that you were like giving so much to trying to make that business work that all of a sudden yeah. your marriage was starting to fall apart a little bit. You weren't seeing your kids like you wanted. Um, you got out of shape a little bit and you mm-hmm. almost ended it one night. Can you take us back there? I did. Yeah, dude. So uh, that that is an interesting place. Uh, it, there a lot of stuff in my life pushed me to, to different levels, right? So even getting to the NFL statistically was a really interesting anomaly. Not so much because it was you know football and it was so difficult. Because like one in twenty thousand athletes in high school would make it to the NFL. But I also it was in the foster care system. Which if you look at the foster care system, seventy five percent of inmates are former foster kids. Fifty percent of the homeless population are former foster kids. And like less than one percent of us graduate from college. So. To be that far was already a statistical like 
shouldn't exist. And I get to this back end of my life after the NFL and a major identity crisis. So I didn't know who Anthony was and where he fit and what his value in the world was anymore. Because whenever you've done something for so long and it's taken from you, you can't do it anymore. You're like, what am I doing this for? Like, what, you know? And I was, what's even worse, Chris, like, you're at this point where, like, I'm at the pinnacle of football. And then you go to the, down to the bottom. It's like, well, what other high is there in life? You know, so it's even worse. And then, then I come home and I'm in trying to find myself again. I neglect my wife. I, I, we had two more kids. We had three, I had twins. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting here with a wife who's now having an affair. Uh, I have this feeling that I'm creating this separation of Fen like I, I grew up in from my own kids and it broke my heart. Uh, I'm out of shape, like you said, because I was stress eating because I had this business I'd open as a gym owner and I didn't have no idea what I was doing. I opened this gym. Dude, oh, I did it the wrong way. I never even had a gym membership. I had no business plan. I was like, I'm going to open a gym and have people come train with me. And, you know, and so I opened this thing and like nine months in, I'm looking at bankruptcy. I got a guy roll up on a Harley from the landlord, deliver a letter, says, get out, you know, pay 16 grand and you're out of here. And all my NFL money was gone. I'd put it into the gym. It was, I didn't know what I was doing. And on top of that, I still was battling this. You have no value because of football. And look, see, you don't have value, right? So my life was a spitball. And I remember when this all happened, I went this fog. Because when you have difficult hardships, you go into this weird fog and you just kind of go through the motions because you don't want to accept the reality of it. And a buddy of mine, we were at this UFC fight, 9.30 at night. I got done watching the fight and I hadn't moved for three hours, I was told. And so I get up to walk outside. My buddy follows me and says, Ant, man, you are not you. He's like, I need you to grasp this. He says, four words. This is your reality. And it was really interesting the weight the words had on my life in that moment because like it all in one moment just felt like it. Like you ever seen like, uh, you know, X-Men or something where like, you yeah. know, Gene Gray has everything floating and all just slams to the ground. Yep. Like the, it just yeah. slammed to the ground. And I was like, oh, and then I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't breathe. It's this pain. And I found later, like the brain can't always distinguish between physical and emotional pain. So I just felt this pain that I wanted to stop. And so I drove off one night, man. I was like, I, I don't want to be here. And I sent a text. I said, please tell my kids who their father was. I drove off and I, I went looking for stores that had rat poison. And I didn't, I, I went in this back road. Thankfully, I did that. Just didn't have any stores that were open. And so I remember like driving for a good hour down this town called Stockton. And I ended up like stopping at this gas station. And it's kind of thing where the wave of emotions started to subside, you know, it starts to kind of, you know, get smaller. And so I'm kind of in my head, just like in a lot of just anguish and pain and shame. And the police show up because they tracked me on GPS, thankfully. And, uh, and I talked to them because I can talk and I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm fine. I play it all off. I'm like, hey, head home. And then I head home and there's like 30 people outside of my house in my court. So another wave of shame, like, dang, like, you know, because I didn't tell anybody in my life the real depths of the problems. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what we don't do as men, unfortunately, as people, we just kind of eat it because you don't want anybody to know there's something wrong, but we all have problems. So I get to this point, man, where I just, I'm in a shameful place. And that was, that was what I'll call my most rock bottom, rock bottom was like, I didn't want to be here. I didn't know why. And that was the beginning of a climb out to be who I am now. There's so many directions I want to go. The first one is the obvious one. What in the world was step one? Like, how did you manage to pull it together being down that low? Yeah, you know, there wasn't a step one, but there was a step I took, I guess is the best way to explain it. So I just went back to work. I was like, nothing happened. Stuff it back down. Why not? Yeah, eat it back up. And uh, and so I went to work and had a couple of buddies that were there. And one of my buddies, his name's Richie. Richie Beltram, good dude, man. Um, he he takes me to the back of the office. I'd played high school football with him. Like I'd known him for years. I was family. 
First off, he says, hey, don't you ever do that again, first thing. Second, he goes, whenever I found out what was going on, he said, I physically threw up in my toilet. Damn. Like I physically threw up. And I was like, why? And he goes, well, I, I thought that I'd lost a hero. Oh. And it's a really weird thing for you to hear, like a friend of yours. And, I was like, and it really like, unsettled me. I remember I was standing in that room at this moment right now. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, everybody in this town, this community, because I've gone back home, he says, we all know what you've gone through, who you are, what you've created, what you've built. He's like, you, your life is an inspiration to a lot of people without you even knowing it. And so I guess the step one was he planted a seed, which I don't think a lot of people do plant seeds. Uh, and the seed for me was one, I found like I got to talk to people. But two, the seed was maybe there was a crazy reason for all of my life to have happened how it had. Because we didn't even go through the heinous stuff of my childhood. And so like, I, I think a lot of the way to that was like, well, maybe if I did it on accident, I could do it on purpose. Now, Chris, the problem is some people get into those moments in time and they think, all right, let me go start sharing and teaching. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. I, th I think that was one of the smart things is I was in no place to start talking to other people about their life. Yeah. My marriage was still falling apart. I still didn't like Anthony. I was still in the middle of his crazy. You know, My business still wasn't doing well. But that first step of just a seed being planted was a thing that gave me a little bit of just that hope, that little bit of light at the end of the tunnel that made me get back on the tracks and start rolling. Okay, so you're an absolute expert in identity. I mean, you use it to help you know, entrepreneurs and, and business mm -hmm. moguls identify their business identity and, and you know, tell them what to do with their business. But at this time in your life, if you had to go back and define or classify your identity leaving the NFL versus mm -hmm. your identity now, how would you define yeah. those two identities? Oh, man. There's a, there's a quadrant I use called the slower go grid. And there's essentially either you go slow or you go in opposition or opportunity and overlap. So you have slow, 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 go, go slow and go, go. Right? And we can go deep in if you want, we don't have to. But at that time in my life, I was what I would call a slow, slow identity. Mm -hmm. I would go slow for opportunity and slow in opposition, which means I didn't tackle opposition when it came to me. I didn't do, I didn't know how. Like it just was all hard, right? And I was a hardworking guy, mm -hmm. but solving problems in and of itself is difficult if you don't have the tools or belief you can overcome it. And then because of that, I don't want to take on new opportunities because it's going to be wasting my time, right? Or I might mess it up and feel more bad about myself. Uh, and so essentially at that time, I was a slow, slow. At this point in my life, I'm what I call a go-go. I've gone through the process of like, I absolutely love problems mm -hmm. to a weird extent. To, so like, it almost sounds like masochistic, but it's not. I love it because whenever I approach problems, I realize as a man of faith that there's a scripture in James, I think it's one verse two through four, he talks about the fact that you're given these problems to mature, to become complete. And so as this process goes, it's like, I've realized that there's always been a use for the problems in my life when I look back on it now. And also I love to go after crazy new things that most people don't think possible. That's why I built the business I built. I've been an American Ninja Warrior and done these things that I really shouldn't be on, right? But I do them because I'm like, man, what else can the world do and deliver to me that I, I may be getting in the way of? Because I believe every person listening right now, yourself included, and you know this, there's a phenomenal plan in place for our life to do some really cool things. Yeah. But we mess it up because we're afraid of taking chances, taking, you know, taking this next step. And so I'm in a position now where when I go, I just I sprint through things and I'm totally cool with stumbling because I always get back up. All right, so correct me if I'm wrong. The four identities, there's a slow, slow. That's like the person yeah. who's always paralyzed, always deciding, right? All the dreamer. Okay. Uh, then there's a slow go. How would you slow describe that guy? A, 
Yeah, slow goes a person who goes slow in opportunity, but they go hard in opposition. It's always read as opposite opportunity opposition. So slow go says that I'm what's called a, uh, a, a defender, sorry. So I will not take opportunity because I think it might take away from what I've already accomplished. It's the, the undefeated boxer who won't take another fight. Yep. Now I'll tackle somebody who wants to challenge me like, oh no, I'm, I'm undefeated. Ain't nobody beat me yet. You want this fight? Uh, I don't know, you know? Uh -huh. Or I've got this cool job, but like, you want to take this other one out? No, I don't know. Because what, what if I do that? And I look worse to the people because they already know I'm a successful businesswoman, right? Defender. Then you have what's called a go slow, which is the person who they'll go hard in opportunity. They chase stuff all day long, but the moment opposition rears its head, they shut down. This is called mm -hmm. the dabbler. More like yeah. the shiny object chaser, right? So they're yeah. always bouncing around and they never stay in a lane because yeah. they love the feeling of excitement of starting something, but hate the feeling of problems. And then the go-go, you just described that. That's like the doer. Face of opposition, game on, let's go. And every opportunity, like you're welcome. You welcome them. You go right? after, yeah. It's because at the end of the day, you, you, you go. It's the person that does things in life. I, and I always tell people in the past, like dreamers don't usually hang out with doers because yeah. doers get tired of them. Like, I love your dreams. I don't want to hear about them. But if you're in a slow, slow, you can talk a big game all day long, but you never take action towards it, unfortunately. That's but funny, then also, dude. it is. It's weird. But I, and so I eventually, I love the people because I can help in the coaching I do, but I can't be around you all day long because what happens is I want to hear what you're doing, not what you're going to do. You know what's so funny? So um, I know that you experienced this too. Um, a lot of people want to form a relationship. They want to hang out. They want yeah. to be friends. And I guess I'm kind of confessing here. I can't hang out long-term with somebody who's not a go-go, meaning they're not in action. They're not taking on the challenges. They're not doing exciting things. So I can't hear about somebody talk about wanting to do something more than yeah. a couple of times before it bores me that they're not doing it because there's nothing yeah. interesting going on until they're actually doing it. Yeah. There's, and I always tell people there's more information to learn along the journey than there is at the start. You can read all the books you want, but the true information is going to change your life. It happens once you're doing things. That's why people who are like in the medical field, they'll be very clear the book is not what happens in the emergency room. It's a difference, right? So you need to get in the emergency room because if, if you aren't in this room with me doing this work I'm doing, it doesn't bore us because the person bores us. Like I love the human of that person, but conversationally, there's so many more things I want to talk about that you don't even know exists in the world just yet. So therefore, I am bored. And it's not that, that you can't get there. It's that until you start working, I, I don't have the space in my heart to maintain or, or just entertain something that doesn't spark my interest. And every human can attest to this. That's why if a five-year-old wants to tell you about their shoelaces, you're like, dude, I don't want to hear about your shoelaces, little man. Yep. But it doesn't mean they're a bad person. It means like you're far above understanding shoelaces, right? So that's just simply the concept. So somebody listening right now, I don't think that there's anything wrong with you. It's just do work. You know, figure out the work to talk about. Part of the journey. So is the journey, are you telling me, is the journey that the ultimate goal for everyone listening is to become a go-go? Yeah, but if you go-go astronaut, that's the, that's the journey. You want right, to go deeper? Right. Oh, baby bird, I'll feed you if you want. <laughs> I like it, I like it. All so, right. So, so if that's the goal, you said there's nothing wrong with them if they're not there yet. But if they're yeah. not in action trying to go through the, this journey and get there, mm -hmm. what are your tips for them? How do they get back on the bus? Yeah, so I mean, if we if you go to the simple aspect, I have a full thing. I call the shift method. It's a process. Mm -hmm. it's the foundation of all my coaching is on, right? But the basic is go back to the beginning of the slow, slow, and then you have to look at how do I tackle opportunity or how do I tackle opposition. And so, if you're in a place where you don't do either, start taking more chances and then start tackling more problems, right? 
If you're in a position where you don't take opportunities, start taking more. If you don't tackle problems, start tackling them. Like that's the, I'll keep it super basic and yeah. simple in that aspect, right? But then we get to the point of like the, the go, go, there's five levels of it. And I, I've realized this through my work of analyzing myself and my clients, what positions they are with going to an extra tier. So go identity is a difference between the go, go person who is the, you know, popsicle stand mm-hmm. and Elon Musk. Yeah. So I can't put them in the same box and not delineate who they are. And so what I look at is there's some people that are what's called walkers. We're all going to go from California to Florida. Some people are going to walk there, which means I don't take outside help. I want to be self-made and do it all on my own. And so it's going to take you forever. You're you're not going to read books or learn anything. I'll figure it out. All right, go ahead. And then I'll meet you there if you don't die along the way, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have what's called the rider. The rider realizes, okay, I need a little bit of uh, outside propulsion so that my effort goes a little bit farther. So they will read a book. They may listen to an audiobook. They may watch a TV show, right? Get a little bit of insight, but they're still self-powered. It's on me. I'm going to figure it out. Still self-made. Then you have the people who are drivers, which essentially says, I need a little bit outside support, outside you know, um, you know, energy. I need that engine. That's not me to push me a little bit. So they will attend a seminar. They'll read some more books. They may buy a course or two, right? So I'm getting some outside inside. I'm doing it. But the problem is because of where they're at mentally and not knowing the roadblocks you're going to run into, like a car on a road, you hit stop signs, you hit detours, you hit roadblocks. So the distance to get there, you can go faster, but it's going to take you longer because you're weaving and going through the roads of life. Then you have the person. There's an investment to get the driver's license or in a drive. Then there's the pilot's. The pilots are different. The pilots say, look, I'm going to invest a little more time, a little more energy to, to get to the next level. But a pilot, they say, I'm going to get a coach. I'm going to get some guidance. I'm going to get some outside resources because what happens is I rise above it all and I don't have roadblocks. I fly from here to Florida. Those are the people that are like, you know, I, I'm a pilot, I believe. So you get that level. And they can have different kinds of jets. You can have like a little prop plane, a little Cessna, like an F-71 jet, whatever they are. <laughs> so you can have a different kind of jet realistically, right? But think about, I'm above it. I got help. I get insights. So there's no more roadblocks. I can ask somebody for an answer that's already been in that place. Let's yeah. go. Then you have the astronauts. While everybody else is trying to go to Florida, they're like, no, nah, no, nah, the gold's in the UK. You know, mm-hmm. like, no, nah, no, nah, the gold's over in Australia. Because they're at that Elon Musk, Richard Branson, you know, Kevin yeah. Hart, the rock level. They see things that we can't see because they're at levels that we haven't reached yet. And so that's where I'm trying to get to be as an astronaut someday. I don't know when it'll take place, or even if it does, you know, if God puts it on the plate. But I'm happy being an astronaut because I do seek outside help. I get guidance and it allows me to get to the destination faster and with joy and fun. I'm definitely a pilot right now, listening to your classifications, but an aspiring astronaut. Who is the mm-hmm. astronaut, to stick with the metaphor, that really just like lights you up and inspires you? Man, you know what? I like The Rock. And I've never... Yeah, his thing. I, he's killing I played it. He, the, he is. And here's the, here's the reason why I look at this guy. I've played the NFL. So I'm not a guy that's like, I like, oh man, everybody, I'm a fan, right? Yeah. I respect humans. And I'm always watching because I have this weird... Um, because of foster care, I had this, this internal brain that looks at people's uh, mannerisms and their, and their, like, their behaviors in different ways because it was a survival thing back then. Mm-hmm. So I went and saw Dr. Amen, who's a brain guy. And I, and I did this study, this test. It was like looking at people's... you know facial expressions. He's like, most people get like a five or a six, but I got a nine. He's like, it has to be something to do with like how I just was having to watch people as a kid and learn from a young age what they're like, right? So I can grab a person's energy. So I, I watched The Rock like that. I also know people who've worked with him directly who are like, the dude, he's always early. He knows his lines. He shows up. He's given gifts at the things. And he's like, how he loves his daughters. He's very faithful, how hard he works. The dude's jacked, got a crazy body. To know internally what it takes to have all those things rocking 
pun intended, at the same time, that you cannot have anything but an ultimate respect for the human because not only is he incredibly crazy successful, but from what I see at least, he seems to be a grounded human as well. And that for me is something that I respect deeply. What would you ask him? You get one question sitting in a room. Oh, I got a plan for this. All right, what is it? I'm gonna do, I got this show I'm going to do called The Truck Talks, where I drive around the country in the back of a truck. Uh, we mm. sit at a tailgate in a grass field somewhere and just have people just kind of sit and chill. So Dude, my, my ultimate... Right? This is, my last name's Trucks. Let's make it simple. People, I love that. Cool conversations had on tailgates all over the world in, in baseball games, <laughs> different tailgates and like open fields. But the question I want to ask... Good idea. Is, uh, is I almost want to say... I almost want to ask him, what's the question nobody asks you, but they should? Because mm, yeah. at the end of the day, you, you get asked the same questions. They're annoying. And I know people ask me those questions every once in a while. Like, I get to the point of like, I like this podcast right now. I'm getting asked stuff I never get asked. It's more fun this way. Yeah. When I have to get to the full role of my entire story, I'm like, man, I've told it 70 million times. I know somebody can go somewhere else and listen to it. Yep. Why don't you extract something that nobody's got before, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, that's what I would ask him. Because you got to think there's so many things going on in his daily operations and problems he's not talking about on social media. I want to know those. Like, I want to get what's the thing you deal with from your staff that pisses you off? Like, what are the things that people say to you in your inbox that make you like cringe? You know, are you ever worried about your family's safety? Like, these things that nobody asks? That's what I would want to know. So, switch gears a little bit, um, sticking with identity and business identity. I, I know for a fact that you work with a lot of seven-figure entrepreneurs, helping them get to and exceed seven figures. And the bulk majority of listeners on this show is that aspiring entrepreneur or low six-figure entrepreneur that absolutely is trying to find their way to seven figures. So yeah. what's your advice? What do you think shifts in identity or what actions mm-hmm. have to be taken to finally transcend from six figures to seven? Yeah, so this is actually perfect dials into the shift method I use. So here's what I tell people. There's three stages we go through my work, right? C, shift, sustain. It's the method. A lot of people will do the shift work comfortably. Like usually at the six-figure level, they'll, they'll do the work. They're not lazy, right? That, that sometimes people think it's like, I got to work harder. And you'll hear, I got to work smarter, but nobody really knows what that means. It means kind of do, but nobody yeah. like knows what it means for them. Like when people say relationships are hard. Like, are they? Well, tell me exactly how. Well, I don't, I don't know. I know it's hard. Like... At this point in my life, after being divorced and remarried, like I can tell you it was hard in a relationship. Yeah. Like giving a massage at 11 o'clock when I'm going to go to sleep, but she wants it. Like that is the hard thing. <laughs> like, yep. so, so here's what I'll say. A lot of people do shift work, but the problem is we'll do the shift work. We'll get to the back end of being exhausted and we won't have progress. So a lot of people who are in six, six figures are like, I need the next book. I need the next seminar. No, that's not the key to your seven figures. As much as I wish it was like that will help, yes, but it is not the key. What ends up happening, we got to go back to the first stage, which most people don't do, is C. Because if not, it's like, it's like climbing a ladder in a shift work and they get to the top and realize, oh man, this ladder's leaned against the wrong building. Yeah. And it's not anywhere I want to be. Yep. So for me, the key is like, go back and you have to find a way to unpack. And I have a process for this to unpack what is a thing that you need to see about you that you weren't quite seeing yet. Ooh. And it usually comes with a little bit of apprehension and some, and some ego rearing up and some pain. But that's usually the key. Because the goal for me in the shift is to create what's called an ideal identity. Mm-hmm. Everybody, no matter what dream you have, there is an ideal identity for your dream. And if you were of that ideal identity, you'd already have that thing. It's mm-hmm. just simple logic. Like if you're the person that, that did those things, you'd have the money and the time and the yeah. freedom. It's not always this random fluke, right? Right. And some people have it 
with less information that people have, I call the Midas touch. Like anything you give certain people, like you can give me anything at this point, I believe, and I'll figure the damn thing out. It's part of who I am. I'll just do it. Same with you, I'm sure. Like you just, you'll just figure it out. People are like, how do you do it? You're like, I don't know. It's what I do on Wednesday morning. It's just like Like it it makes no sense to us. Yeah, to where you can't put into words. So I find ways to make this make sense into words. And so you're asking, what do I shift? What happens is I have to architect and then activate that identity in my life. And there's six core aspects to it. It's beliefs, thoughts, big actions, the mindset fixed or, or you know growth. And then your, your habits you do, the consistent actions, and then your personal pride and whether or not you're increasing it or decreasing with the actions you take or don't take. And, and, and once somebody gets into knowing what those things are, where they really fit in the bigger picture for them, then you could actually sit back and go, oh, now I, like, I get people super clear and like, that's what I got to be working on. But here's the cool thing. In your life, what you create, creates you. So when we start talking about getting that ideal identity, this is why I call identity shift. Because when you shift those pieces, not even vastly, just make small one degree shifts, like an airplane will go way different direction by one degree in trajectory change. One degree shift in those areas, it allows you to over time get to the point where you're now taking actions. You, you create this process, but the creation of something is a long, dirty process, man. Like creating a life, creating a relationship, creating a statue. It's a process to where when you are done with it, you look back and you don't just say, yeah, I made a statue. You're like, no, I make statues. Yeah. Like that's who I am. And it's a different sense of ownership because now what happens is you'll fight for the moments that you deserve. You feel you deserve in life. And when you've gone through the creation process, you will not fight for anything less than what you deserve. And if you believe you deserve so much more, guess what? You internally fight so hard so that the things that used to overwhelm you, they are easy now. Yeah. Like the yeah. things that I, I tell people all the time, the problem that holds the, 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 the door to your financial success, mm-hmm. you haven't even got in front of that problem yet. You're still stuck at the 110 paces back because you keep telling yourself, I've worked so hard, no matter what I do. Like, no, you are still, because ha- that thing still overwhelms you. When that mm-hmm. becomes easy, now you can progress forward to get in front of the problem that actually is the one that holds the, the money aspect or the relationship key, right? So it's, it's but people got to work on that six-figure level. Go back and see, architect your ideal identity of who you want to be, and then understand how to, how to put that in process, create mm-hmm. over time this human where one day you wake up and you won't even know when. You look back and be like, man, I'm dope. When did that happen? Uh, Thursday, the 23rd at 7 p.m. You know, like it doesn't happen. It's just like, I don't know, but yeah. I'm amazing. Give me more problems. Man, I freaking love it. Okay. I want to talk about the opposite end of what we're talking about right now because we're talking about some yeah. high performing identities at this point. Mm-hmm. You threw some stats out that I really wanted to ask you about. And that is 75% of the people that start out in the foster system end up in our prison system, 50% well, like end that, yeah. up homeless. Is that right? Well, seventy-five percent of the inmates are former foster kids. Okay. Okay. Yeah. stuff. Yeah. That blows my mind, and that needs to be Crazy. talked about more because yeah. here's what I can't stand: there's too many people that judge the homeless person as they drive by them, judge the person asking for money at the stoplight. Yeah. There's too many people that judge the prisoners. Well, you shouldn't have made a bad decision. Mm-hmm. It's way bigger than that, and it starts at that young mm-hmm. age. Talk us through what right. you know about this a little bit. What I know about it is you have to be given opportunities to even know. So think about it. You're judging somebody based off a, a data set or information that you have in your head that can give you a different perspective, therefore different judgment. The problem is a lot of these kids, they don't have that perspective. They weren't given those tools. 
Like I was beaten, starved, like tortured as a kid, man. So when you have that as your, your frame of life, you don't have a perspective of opportunity. Mm-hmm. A lot of us were not given the chance. Like I was put into a family, an all white family, very poor, but had love. And that mom and that family, my mom, man, she, she taught me through her actions how to love. Like she taught me to, to, by just loving me past my crazy. Unfortunately, not everybody's given that opportunity to see a perspective. So what happens is all they know is sheer survival. They can't trust anybody because everybody they trust have done them wrong or they've raped them or they've beaten or they've kidnapped them, they've trafficked them. I mean, there's craziness going on in the system. So you look at them thinking like, you guys, you suck. But for them, it's like every time I've trusted a human, everybody's done me wrong first. Secondly, when I did work, they had this this weird balled up secret inside that nobody should know. And it's a shameful thing because you don't want anybody to know you're a foster kid because they look at you differently. To this day, like I'm a grown man with a lot of success. And I'll, I'll notice when I t- do my thing and tell people that I'm a foster kid, there's an immediate sense of like, oh, and then I know that, oh, it's like, and you, I just took myself down in your head, but you don't realize like I'm a monster when it comes to what I do because of that. So... They don't want to tell people because it makes them feel bad. So now you have these people that don't have the perspective of opportunity that's possible in life. And when you don't have an opportunity, you don't think something's possible. Your only option is to be the outlaw, to just do what you do, unfortunately. And you see the system and the world as an opposition. Because here's the other part of psychology is when we look at something, we have to do one of two things. We have to accept that one, I am a person who is actually admitting I'm less than and there's something I got to work on and then they're right and I'm wrong and I got to feel bad about it. And people don't like to feel bad no matter who you are, high or low in life. The other option, which most people choose is in order for me to keep a high level, I got to kick this down and demonize it. Mm -hmm. So the reason you see more criminals who come from that system is the system sucks, the world's against me, nobody loves me, you're the enemy, I'm good, you don't deserve that, I'm going to take your car, I'm going to take your stuff, you know? So now you have this, what we call criminal mentality which essentially comes from them protecting their ego. Wow. Okay. This is fascinating. Where do you think your opportunity showed up so that you didn't continue to go down that path? Was it when you were adopted at 14? Partially. Yeah, for sure. 14, I was adopted. I finally, for the first time, knew this is a place I get to stay in. as a human piece. But, and you know what it also was? Is I got to play football. I couldn't play any sports prior to 14 years old. And, and I mean, to go from 14, I sucked for like two years in football. And then I entered the NFL, which is not a normal process. Uh, <laughs> the thing is though, yeah, for, for a lot of years, I didn't have anything I could invest in that gave me a mirror back to myself that I had self-worth. So had, and you don't have that, it sucks. Had you not uh, received that, I'll let you fill in the blank, stroke of luck or opportunity. Ooh, criminal, bro. Being a, being adopted at 14 years old, do you think you would have turned out the same level of success but have taken a different route? 100%. I mean, I'm not even joking. I, I, I know because 17 years old, I was getting, I got arrested for breaking into cars with some buddies, like just doing dumb kid stuff. And I was still in this house. But the you know, part of it was like my brother was off in the military, which is I had no anchor there. My mom was diagnosed with MS. And so like the family was focused on her. And we're not an academic family. I'm the only person in the family of the six kids to even graduate the high school with the with actual diploma, not a GED. I'm going to go to college. Like my mom, she didn't graduate. She had my older brother at 14. My, my adoptive dad, who she married, he's only 12 years older than me. Like I have a weird dynamic of family, right? So I don't, I don't have a structure. And without football, like I'm off the wind and I would probably just follow along that same suit of what I was doing, unfortunately. But I did have some people that came into my life. I had, you know, my high school sweetheart came into my life at like the right time. And uh, it became this, this different, different trajectory of what I saw as an opportunity. Yeah. Okay, so 
we are living in a time right now where there's finally a ton of awareness and a ton of conversation around uh, systemic racism mm-hmm. and a lot of the challenges that black entrepreneurs have to face that other entrepreneurs just don't have to face. You growing up in a white family, but also being a part of the foster system, you have such a dynamic range of perspective. What yeah. are you seeing going on and what do we need to be aware of? What do we need to know? Yeah, man, loaded question, which is good. I think that's it's, uh, the conversation we all should have. I was on the phone yesterday with Lockheed Martin and one of their groups talking about the same thing. Because mm-hmm. this is a thing that's going up the ranks. I mean, they're, they're to what, Fortune 60 company and the Fortune mm-hmm. 500, like big, big company. This is stuff everybody's dealing with, which is great. Mm-hmm. And so I think a couple of things is, uh, and I don't got to go super deep, but I'll kind of cover the basis. Mm-hmm. One, I'm not neutral. I think some people that look at the guy, for some reason, I see a lot of black Americans who are highly successful. They're in this position of like, I worked hard. You should be able to do it too. Mm-hmm. Not the case. Not everybody's given the same perspective or opportunities, right? But that's not me. Uh, I, and I, I'm, so I understand I've had my black moments. I've been run off the road and called a nigger. I've been called racial stories at airports. Like it's like nobody's sitting next to me sometimes on Southwest. The whole thing open. Jeez. No one sits next to me, right? So this is reality. This is like last year and within the last few months this happens. So. You get this, right? And I, and I, so I'm not neutral. I understand it. However, I, I'd like to get to the point where the Black Lives Matter conversation is no longer a conversation. Not because we stop talking about it, because it doesn't make sense. Because, yeah, yeah of course they do. Societally, right? Because yeah. right now we're in a position where we have this discussion of, you know, do Black Lives Matter? And all lives matter. And that's a whole other conversation. But here's the truth. I'm not fighting for Black Lives Matter. I'm fighting for a world where it's a common sense and almost odd that, that I would even say that Black Lives Matter. And that's what, that's what white America is fighting for too. They don't get that. I think there's it's a step past this, which is that's the word I'm fighting for. Now, there's going to have to be give on both sides. The metaphor I've used uh, in a previous podcast or interview was like, essentially have two houses. You have Black America's house at a certain culture and how we operate. Unfortunately, there's more poverty, there's more sensationalization of, you know, of ghetto styles and stuff. But you got to think that's the, the world we created because we were put in a system that was systematic, that turned to systemic, that created this poverty line. That, so like this was created that put us there. It's not accidental, right? It's, we're not predetermined to be more criminal than white people. It's just that that's what our opportunities are. So yes, this existed, right? And so there's going to be work that we have to do to enter at a higher level in this world. But there's also work that white America has to do to first, for some people, See there's a problem and understand how this took place. And, and that's the part that's hard for people. Like we talked about earlier, you have to accept that it's a problem and there's something issue with what we had or you have to demonize it, right? And for a lot of white America, there's a problem that they're running into, which I do have a plight for because my whole family's white. My best friend's a white cop. Like there is this thing of like, I didn't do anything. It's not me. And, and like there's a guilt that is completely unplaceable because they didn't do anything intentionally, but they feel that. And so... And then they also, you can't say a word. Like, that's even weirder. Like, you can't speak out publicly in any way or you're getting ostracized, you know? Like, so be quiet. Well, if you're quiet, you're a racist. Well, if I say something, I didn't help early enough. It's like, dude, you know? So I get that pain. And so what I'm seeing is there's going to be have to work on that house too, which means there's going to be work that we both sides have to do that are vastly different and very hard. But Black America, we, we got to find a way to internally start stepping up to do, to take advantage of more of the opportunities Whatever that looks like in different demographics, different homes, and then opportunities need to be given to more people from the people that kind of control the world, we'll call it. And and at a certain position, we have to get past the emotion of it and start looking to logic. Because the truth is, is we're all in an emotional state right now. It's raw. A lot of a lot of white privilege is this thing where like, I don't I get that 
there's guilt, but it's almost like I get that shouldn't be placed the same way because it's like you got born into air. You didn't even know you were breathing. You know, like you just got born into it. I didn't, I didn't create this. I didn't, I just lived in it. And it's, is what it is. But black America's air has been the same thing, but it's more, more polluted. We just got born to this. We didn't know. So a lot, a lot of people are saying, well, my black friends never even talked about this. Well, I, I didn't even know it was an issue. It's like, well, that's what we just knew to be the world. And it's kind of like we saw the roach running across the room and nobody saw us. We didn't say anything about it. But now everybody sees a roach. We're like, oh, wait, well, you see it too? Oh, let's talk about it now. You know, uh-huh. so that's where we're all kind of in the space of now we're talking about it. Now white America is like, a, it's all weirded out. We can't say anything. So it's a, it's a dynamic emotional state. But problem is humans with emotions high, intelligence is fairly low. Yes. So we aren't in a logic space societally yet. Media is not helping it. Uh, they're even changing the narrative more. Like before it was all the news because of the riots. And now it's like no riots, but people don't realize there's still protesting going on, but you don't see it in the news, right? So like there's a lot of things that are still spinning. And so I'm looking forward because I'm kind of excited about what the world can turn into (laughs) because I think what we do from the baseline standpoint, outside of legislature and and standing up and, and convicting people that have done things, I don't think we should defund the police. I get the reason why we say that. We don't want police in place because they're bad guys, but they're not all bad. And we need police. I had somebody yesterday at one of my properties in Texas, um, like just walk up, unlock the property, was a previous owner like that sold the house. Like, what are you doing in the house, man? Like I called the cops and took care of it. Like good people, you know, they're not all bad. But when I, I get the idea of defund because we don't want them doing things, but we need to fund it deeper because they don't get enough training to understand how to handle these situations. And, and I, I still need police. Right? We do. We can't because there's always going to be bad apples and we need someone to police them. Right. So there's that part of that. But then I think when it comes to the aspect of, of the conversation, legislature, police reform in some aspects for sure. Because the problem is that a tip of a spear, no matter what goes on at the top levels in legislation, it always comes down to the spear and the police of the spear. And so you really got to have like this, this better systemic issue that gets digested, we'll call it. But here's where I think is magical if we can do this over time and I see it happening. I, I look at how do systemic issues arise? It's the implicit bias that people have that's racially motivated. It's not overt racism. It's, it's bias. It's implicit. It's internal, which is why you know some black families may not get funding for a home or for a business or for the tech company, right? Um, it's why some people might get targeted more because of the color of their skin, right? So that's why the numbers could be so high. Uh, it's, it's just the way that people have a way of interpreting what the law says, we'll call it. That's the systemic thing, right? So who's doing that? It's people. And what are these people doing? And the way I think it's happened for a lot of years is, and I may be off, but I have a feeling it's kind of close to this. You have, you have Bill, you know, Grandpa Billy over here. You have son, you know, Joe. And what happens is Grandpa Billy, you know, he grew up in this era where it was okay to talk a certain way about black people and what they are and look at those, you know, porch monkey, whatever you want to call it, right? And then you have down here, you know, grandson Billy who's hearing it. And, or, and what happens over time, he keeps hearing that conversation for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So eventually he's conditioned that way. It's a conversation that's common. He goes to work as a police officer. He goes to work as a, you know, a banker. And so he's making decisions with this implicit bias. Now, I'm not saying everybody's like this. And I'm not saying that it's overt angry racism, but there's a judgment based because of how things are talked about. And a lot of, I mean, all my white friends, they, they, they can admit I've been in conversation with no black people around. Or we've, you know, that's been the words been thrown around a little bit. And we say the things we do and we make kind of fun jokes and it's da da da. But in the moment of heated ex- exchange of what's going on, like that rears its head. It's the feeling we have. Where I think the world's going to is kind of like how the LGBTQ movement went. You had homosexuality and people like would make fun of it. I watched a movie, Adventures in Babysitting, the other day with my kids. 
and the, the yeah, kid starts calling. It's a great movie, right? Yeah. And uh, the kid's like calling him, you homo. And my kid, my, my kids were like, that's weird. Like, it is weird to you, huh? Like, that's odd. Because for me growing up, that was normal. But they're in a world now where how dare you say that? You know what I mean? Yep. To the extent of if there's not even a gay person around, you shut it down. If I'm in the public and someone's saying that, like, oh, you're homo. Like, hey, bro, don't say that around my kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I would shut it down, right? And I'm, I'm not gay. I don't have you know, anybody around the area that is. But like, that's a conversation we don't start. So my kids aren't raised in a conversational environment that 30 years from now, they're still making fun of gay people. Mm-hmm. Racism, I'm seeing, take a similar curve for conversation to where you'll have later on where Billy would say something to little grandson or whatever it is. Mom steps in. Hey, dad, don't say that. It's not how we operate. Or even if there's no black people around, hey, we don't, we don't say that in this household. That's not what we do. So now that conversation dies. And it's not 5, 10, 15 years of that. It's 5, 10, 15 years of watching TV and seeing black and white kids intermixed and having conversations. We see the culture we're creating now to where he is in the, the police department or he's at the bank or he's in the loan department, right? He doesn't see that same implicit bias the same. Yeah. So now the choice is, yeah, give that guy a loan. He's got better credit. Or you know what? His name's Jamal. Let's get him in here. I don't care. Jamal, Joe, John. They're all the same to me. He's got a good education, right? Now you start seeing the implicit woven in systemic stuff start to deplete and pull away because the conversations changed years ago. So that's a slow process. And some people are like, well, I wish it would change faster. That's not how humans work, especially at a cultural society level. But I think if we're starting this process, it's kind of like that flywheel. When you start the flywheel, it's hard to start in the beginning. But once it gets momentum, it's hard to stop it. So as I see the conversations changing, we are talking about this on a podcast right now. I got brought into a Fortune 500 company to talk about it. The sheer fact that that is going on should tell people this flywheel is moving. Man, one of the best explanations I've ever heard on the show. Okay, so let's take this a step further. You said, I'm excited about what the world could be. Let's relate Mm. that to business. And here's why. A lot of uh, non-Black races are being triggered by... Uh, saying, what do you mean privilege or uh, what do you mean systemic or what do you mean? And they're being Mm -hmm. triggered because they haven't heard great explanations like you just gave where they could actually understand it in that way. So now Mm -hmm. let's relate it to business. Yeah. When you say you're excited about the world uh, and the way it could be, me too. Because what people Mm -hmm. don't realize is if you lift other people up, a rising tide lifts all ships, right? And so imagine more customers, more business partners, more Mm -hmm. solutions, more knowledge, more everything to go around than there is yeah. today because you lifted other people up. That's the part yeah. that I get excited about. And I feel like sometimes we need to really enroll um, other people in seeing the long-term picture, the big picture. And wait a minute, if you're willing to not get triggered right now, and if you're willing to consider what could be, look at how everything could get better for everyone, including yeah. you yourself. So yeah. what are your thoughts around... Um, what this could look like in the future if everyone does their part to try and keep an open mind and, and take action like you're talking about. Stop the conversation. Yeah. Do the thing. It would be, uh, it'd be beautiful, man. Robin Sharma says, change is a process that's interesting. It's hard in the beginning, ugly in the middle, beautiful at the end. We are in the beginning of hard. We're not even into ugly because ugly is going to be people you know, wanting to protect their statues and all this kind of craziness and you're going to have riots. There's going to be more. It's just going to be more when legislature changes or a new leader comes in. It's just going to be an interesting dynamic, but eventually it can be beautiful. And I, and I think it's beautiful because beauty is, is indifference, right? If you go, like say, for example, you're at your house, wherever you're at, why do we go to the beach? I want a different view. I want to I see something different, right? Well, why do I go to different restaurants? I enjoy the difference of culture. I want a burrito, one Chinese food, you know, whatever it may be. The difference is beautiful. And so 
like, this is true, honest. Like, I have conversations with some of my really good white friends, and they're like, you know what? The black culture is just messed up. I don't want to be around. If I go to a park and I see them at a barbecue, I, I want to get away from the barbecue because the culture of how they're loud and what they do. And I'm like, I grasp that. It's different. It's uncomfortable. I don't grasp it. And honestly, what's tied to, for the most part, it's like hood and gangster and barbecue and you know, and so you have this negative feel, so they avoid it. I had the fear that they don't realize. Yeah, it's exactly. But here's when you talk about the business world, here's what's cool is like all the things that for me I like, they come from difference. All, everything we enjoy is different, or else we wouldn't even notice that we enjoy it, right? Just you see it. And when you talk about that, you talk about taking a culture of people who have, like I talked about as a kid. When I was a kid, my superpower was hardship as a child. The reason that I am able to overcome so much now is because there's a statement of a smooth sea makes not a skilled sailor. Yep. I, I'm good in storms, bro. You're freaking out going to not you, but like people going like they're going down below. I'm sipping tea on the dock, bro. I'm just sitting there hanging out like or on the deck. And so like it's a different realm. And so you've got a, a, a whole collection of humans who have been oppressed who have been able to figure out weird ways. Like a lot of us got these weird brains of solving problems because when it's hot outside, you got to find a way to concoct a weird piece of machinery out of a fan that, you know, like when you're poor, like you find ways to solve problems. So I think when we start looking at the future, if more opportunities are given, you're going to have completely different ways to think through a problem that create difference. It's just as beautiful as a new scenery of the beach or new food you get to eat. So like I'm excited not only because I know my kids hopefully should get to grow up in a different world than I did, but also like there's going to be nuances and things we find that when people embrace, because I think it's one thing to embrace a person. I got a black friend, right? I got this person. But imagine if you like that one black friend. It's like, I like this one M&M. What's better than one M&M? A mouthful of M&Ms. You know what I mean? Like, so what if you didn't just embrace that person you knew, but like embrace the culture? I got a mouthful of chocolate, man. It's delicious. No pun intended, the chocolate and black people. But like that's the world I think looking towards of we could actually have this really cool world that's just um, intermixed. And same for black America. Yeah. Black America can, you know, condemns this white American lifestyle. Look at you acting talking all white. Like, no, bro, like I talk clearly and it helps me and I can get ideas across and it's okay to, to want better things. Like, so like to accept that culture as well. Like there's different parts that definitely can benefit everybody. But we, as I talked earlier, we have these two houses. And I realized I didn't even finish this thought. One house is, this is the house I'm in and this is the house. But we can't, I don't want to go live in white America's house. And white America doesn't want to come live in my house. That's okay. It's not a problem. What has to happen is we have to leave both these houses and build a new house. Like I, at one point, was divorced from my wife. I had a girlfriend that lived with me in this house. She had a boyfriend lived with her in that house. We both separated with these people. We had each other's houses that were solo. She didn't want to come to my house because women already lived there. And I don't want to go to her. Some dude lived there. So we got to leave these houses and create one together, which takes a lot of compromise and creation. And, and like I couldn't have my bed anymore. She couldn't have her bed anymore. You're like, got to get a new bed and have new furniture and buy a different couch and all these things you got to give and take. But what happens is, we both build a house together. Therefore, we both respect the other person who's living in this house with me. And we create something that's better than each other house by itself because of the difference. I can't decorate how she can decorate, yeah. but I'll fix anything that breaks in this house. You know, there's different strengths. So because of that, we have a beautiful household we love to live in. And I think that's where society needs to get to. Dude, you have the best analogies, the best metaphors of almost anyone that I've ever had this conversation with. It is 
absolutely epic. I love it. Where Thank can you. people find you? Where should they follow you? Yeah, you can find me at uh, anthonytrucks.com, at Instagram, at anthonytrucks. If you have any questions or you want to uh, look into the work I do, just DM the word shift and we'll have a conversation. But yeah, that's where you can find me. And you've got an awesome quiz that helps us identify uh, where we are at in that identity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, slower go quiz. If you go to slowergo.co or just go to anthonytrucks.com, hit the little quiz, it'll give you a perspective by some questions of which of the identities you are, uh, but more so, how do you navigate shifting into the next tier up? We're going to put all of that in the show notes. Uh, I'll make sure everybody awesome. gets it. Last question for you. Yeah. Give me a reason why everybody should be unapologetic about their pursuit of success. Because, man, success is something we all want. But for some reason, whenever like, I had a conversation in a post yesterday about money, and if you don't have a conversation about something, you will never understand the ins and outs to actually get it. It's period. Like, I grew up poor and we didn't talk about money. Therefore, I personally choose, like, you know what? I talk about money with my kids and my friends and like it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's why, that's why a lot of people are broke. So, the pursuit of happiness, like, you should be unapologetic because one, you're like, a, you're like a teacup, man. And you have the ability to have all these ounces fill up, but you got a little bit of drip drops in the bottom, bro. Fill the cup up. That's what God built you to do was to fill this stinking cup up, man. Like for me, potential is the key. And if you don't talk about it or venture or even have a thought towards it, you're going to end your days looking at yourself. There's another quote that I, I made up, and it's the last person I want to meet in my deathbed is a person I could have been. Oh. And so for me, it's like, man, go after it. Because at some point, your life will come to an end and you're going to be faced with the question of, legit, did I live this thing? And if you didn't live it, man, I said it'd be a tough existence. Man, Anthony Trucks, you are a godsend. You are awesome. Thank you for your time on the show. It's so good. Your analogies, your metaphors, your lessons were so dang good. Listen, when you put together that that truck tour, sitting on the tailgate, having conversations, yeah. Count me in. Hey, I'm serious. I'm not even joking. You say that, dude. I've already got some things set up. I'm going to add you to the list. Seriously. You come swing through Santa Monica or you tell me where to go. I'll, I'll come sit on a tailgate with you. I bet we could have some good Done. conversations. Done, Anyhow, bro. I really appreciate you being on, man. And I know on behalf of all the listeners, uh, they do too. So thank you. Very welcome. And thank you for having me. Seriously. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.